Hello, friends. Good to see everybody. You've heard me talk about the cabin up in northern Minnesota, and I love that place. I love so many things about it. I love, I love the lake uh, where we are. I love, uh, I love the loons on the lake. Uh, I, I love the weather. Uh, in the summer when you're here in July and it's about 95 degrees and 98% humidity, it's about 82 and low humidity there. Those, the days of summer in Minnesota, all, like those, those seven days are amazing <laughs> in Minnesota, I tell you. I tell you, I also love the trees. I love, the, I love the trees. We have a lot of beautiful trees right around our cabin. And one of my favorites is the Norway pine. We have a lot of those. The Norway pine or the red pine is actually the Minnesota state tree. And they typically are very tall and almost perfectly straight they have red bark on them real majestic and stately and then they have no branches down low until about 20 30 feet up and then they have all the branches and the big plumes of needles on the top really really cool and we have a lot of those that kind of stand around our cabin sort of like old friends you know they've been there forever well at least 80 90 150 years or so and um, I always feel bad when the wind blows one of them over or we have to they get sick and you got to take one down I always kind of feel like oh you know, I hate that, but as inevitably happens, this last summer, uh, another one died, and my brother and I had to do as we've done a hundred other times, you know, get the, one, one, you grab the chainsaw, I'll grab the rope, and then I, you know, one of us climbs up, I usually get the nod to climb up the tree and tie the rope, and you know, and it's not, not, I actually caught a video of this, nothing fancy with this, but I just want to show you, this is what it looks like when you cut down a tree, go ahead and take a look here. May she rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, sort of sad. It's a long one. That was probably 80 or 90 years old. Been there a long time. I was kind of sad to see that one go. But, you know, where, where once stood, you know, this tall, stately, majestic tree with green and blossoms on it, now is, is just an old stump. Ugly old stump sitting there. You know, a tree, a tree kind of speaks of life, future, you know, hope. And a, a stump is kind of the opposite. It kind, of, it kind of reminds you of what used to be there, some place where hope has died. I wonder if you have any of those kind of places in your life right now. Something where there's just a stump where there used to be a tree. Where you may be given up on hope for something or someone. Maybe the someone is you or some part of your life. You know, trees are so full of life and then they, something comes sometimes, just whacks them off. You got nothing but an old stump. You, we all have stumps in our lives, don't we? Can you think of a stump that you have in your life? Some of us, you know, we walked down the aisle, we had these dreams of these evergreen times of love that would last forever, and then sometimes something happens and feels more like a stump. Or just the way your life is going doesn't turn out the way it was supposed to, and it just feels more like a stump. A relationship, or maybe you've lost someone that's really dear to you, or some other 
episode or issue in your life, we all got stumps, yeah? We're going to talk about that today. Um, that's our goal, talk about that. This is a good time for us to welcome in all the friends that we have at other campuses, so let's do that. Can we just do what we sometimes do and just welcome everybody? So at Aberdeen, Aberdeen's not here yet, Abingdon, Mountain Road, Edgewood, Bel Air. I'm getting excited about Aberdeen. I keep welcoming them in. If you're online, we're glad you're with us as well. And um, we're in week two of a series that we're calling Don't Miss the Forest for the Tree, right? And uh, it's, it's kind of um, helping us look at a series of different trees. Um, there's a whole lot of attention given to the Christmas tree, you know. Like the tree becomes like symbolic for all that the hurried Christmas experience in America has come to represent. Like all the hustle and bustle and Cyber Monday billions that we spend in order to buy something to put under those trees, right? And, and what we want to do is help each other avoid being the kind of people who are so sucked into all of that, into the Christmas trappings and traditions and trees, that we, we just go along with the Christmas presents and parties and puddings and pies and miss the Christmas point, which is much larger. We want to step back and see the forest, the larger forest of God's meaning that we'll miss if we just get caught up here. You can miss the forest for the tree, you know. So we want to avoid that and kind of help each other. And it turns out as we step back, we're going to look at a different tree today. Because it turns out that Christmas isn't really just about hoping you get some gifts underneath your Christmas tree. It's about hope itself. It's about what to do with the stumps in our lives. So we began this series last week talking about life between the trees. Okay? Life between the trees. And if you didn't catch that message, I know some of you are out, I'm going to encourage you to go back and catch it. It might be one of the most important messages I've ever given. And I think it was connecting with people in a way that shows it's important. I think you need to hear it. Because it will also help you know where we're going today and the following weeks. And we're going to talk about a different tree today. And this is a tree that was beautiful and then got lopped off and became just a stump. And we're going to learn what God did with it. Because when we learn that, it's going to help all of us know what to do with our stumps. Sound good? Hello? Is this thing on? All right. So in order to do that, we're going to have to cover the entire Old Testament part of the Bible, which shouldn't be a challenge because last week we actually covered all of eternity. So I think we can get through the Old Testament this week, all right? So uh, let's, let's jump in there. When you're going to start talking about the Old Testament, you go right back to the beginning. Where do you go? What's the first book of the Old Testament? You go back to Genesis and we begin there. And so here's, here's where it all begins. God creates and he creates humans in his image and he creates a beautiful world and he creates this, this sort of environment as we talked about last week for harmony with peace with God, peace with others, a beautiful place. He creates us to flourish and thrive, to have abundant life, to like be like tree, uh, trees by streams of living water where our roots go down and are nourished and all is well with the world. We have harmony. That's what God has created us for. But because we think we're so darn smart, the first humans and every human since then has always pushed back against God and denied Him and defied Him and tried to go our own way. And whenever you do that, it never goes as well as you think it's going to. And in fact, that's what's happened with the human family, is everything began to fall apart. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way, because we think 
We know better. And in our disobedience, this thing called sin enters the picture where we willingly walk away and cut ourselves off from the light and the goodness and the nutrients of God that will help us grow and flourish the way we were meant to. And so now we live in this darkened, dysfunctional time of a curse beneath, between the trees. And everything's kind of spoiled with sin. And if there's going to be any solution to that problem, it isn't going to come from us. Because we're so messed up and radically flawed, we can't provide answers to our own situation. If you look at your life, either in the micro problem you have or the macro problem of humanity, we've proven through history we cannot solve this problem on our own. And so God looks at the situation and says, what am I going to do? I created this beautiful thing, it's all messed up, and God steps in and he says, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to go back and I'm going to remake things. And he makes a promise the way he always does. He works through people. That's what God's MO is. He always works through people. In this case, he starts with a guy named Abraham. And he says, where you've got curse, I'm going to bring blessing. And Abraham, I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to give you a family. And that family is going to grow into a huge family tree. And it's going to be so amazing that everyone, all the nations can come and perch in its branches and get back to the way it's meant to be. And I'm going to use your family to do it, Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to give you a nation, a family, and all this stuff. And it says, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. God's eyes were on Abraham, but he was, he was thinking about the whole earth when he made that promise. It's a beautiful promise. And it's a reminder that whenever God blesses you, he never does it just for your benefit. He blesses you so you can be a blessing. And it started with Abraham in that way. What's kind of funny about this part of the story is that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were octogenarians, and God's promising him a big family. And they're like, ta! They laugh out loud at him, like, you got to be kidding me. We're just a couple old stumps. And then she gets pregnant. And she has a baby. And you know what they named him? Isaac, which in Hebrew means laughter, because who got the last laugh now? And it's a little hint about what kind of God we have who can bring life out of unlikely places, even old stumps. Hold on to that thought. This is called the covenant or the promise with Abraham, God's promise. And it's a long-term project and it really covers most of the Old Testament. This is what the Old Testament is about. Like, is the, is the tree going to grow or is it only going to stay a stump? Is God faithful? Does he keep his promises? That's what the Old Testament's about. As you know, the story moves on, some of you don't know, but some of you do, that the story moves on and, and um, the children of Israel start to grow, this family of Abraham starts to grow, and, and then they become enslaved in Egypt for like 400 years, which is a real bummer, and then God hears their cries and says, I'm going to deliver you, but I'm going to do it the way I always do, through a human. And he calls a young man, a prince of Egypt, to go to the king of Egypt. What's the prince of Egypt's name? The guy named Moses says, Moses, why don't you go down there and get my people out of there? He goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no. And about 10 plagues later, he changes his mind and lets him go. And here go the children of Israel escaping out of Egypt. And they, they get up to the Red Sea and God miraculously parts it. They go through on dry ground. And as the Egyptian army follows in hot pursuit, the waters swallow over them. And they're all drowned. And it's a great rescue and a great deliverance. It's one of the greatest moments of redemption in history. And God's people say, don't ever forget what God has done in this very place. And God says, yes, I want you to remember why I did this. I blessed you, what? So you can be a blessing. Don't forget it, God says. 
I have a purpose for you. Now let's get back on track. Where were we? And he begins to grow the great tree again and says, I'm going to use you, all of you now, to do it. And if you're going to be my people, you got to look like me. You got to act like me. You got to have my character inside of you. You got to have my heart inside of you. So God gives us his word. It's called the law as a way of understanding how we can be like God. Because if you want to represent God, you got to be like God in little ways here and there. And his word helps us know how to do that because you can't really save a dark world if you look like the darkness. So God gives his word so we know how to look like light. And this is the promise now, a covenant with Abraham was made, and then now with Moses, and it's called the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other stuff. But then, well, as we always do, we have a way of taking beautiful words from God and making them legalistic and making them rules. And rules, as we know, were meant to be broken, and that's what God's people do. They got bored, and they said, you know, God isn't enough. We don't want to just live with God and His Word. We want a king. Everybody else seems to have a king. You ever do that, look around and say, you want what everybody else has? God says, that's a really bad idea. You got me. And they're like, we want a king. And God sometimes gives us what we want, even though it's not always best for us, as he gives them a king. So now God's people, children of Israel, have a king. His name is Saul. He's the first one. And Saul, you know, he, um, he looked the part because he was tall, but as we all know, tall people can be overrated. And uh, he doesn't work out so good. He had a character issue, and he fell by the wayside. And God says, let me pick and anoint the next one. And he sends a guy named Samuel to pick him. A man, he says, I'm going to get the right one this time. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, he says, I've chosen a man after my own heart. I'm going to appoint him to be ruler of my people. What was this guy's name? Anybody know? That was David. He says, Jesse is a man. He's a good man. Jesse, he's got all these sons. I want you to go, and I want you to pick the least little runt, the one at the end of the, the one that looks like nothing but a stump. I want you to pick him. And he's going to be the next king of Israel. And David eventually does rise to the throne. He serves for 40 years. And it's the zenith of Israel's history. The pinnacle of their achievement. It's the glory days, the David years. And they've never seen such a great time before or since. David. He defeats the surrounding armies of the Philistines. And he gets all kinds of people paying tribute to him. So he gets this wealth. And he, he's pretty much in control of the promised land. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He makes Jerusalem the capital city. And they begin to call it... The city of David. They begin to call it the city of God or Zion. And it's a pretty cool thing. And David is a man for God's own heart and does a lot of good. Now, the Bible is quick to remind us that he's just a lot like us too. He messed up pretty bad. Committed adultery, murder, other things we're capable of. His family was a bit of a disaster. But he remains in the memory of Israel the greatest king they ever saw or would see. And God made a promise to David just like he did to Abraham and Moses, to keep the promise going for the tree. He promises David. He says, David, a son of David will always reign over the house of Israel. Here's how it came down. David one day, he's saying, you know, I'm sitting here living in a beautiful house, a palace made of, of cedar, and it didn't write that I'm living in a house like this, God, and you, you're the ark of your covenant's like in some tent somewhere in the tabernacle. I want to build you a big old fancy schmancy house. And David wants to build a temple for God. And you know what? God says, no, thank you, but I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house, but not a physical house. I'm going to build of your name a house, a dynasty a royal family, so that the house and the lineage, the line of David, will actually never end. It'll be a great family tree in which all the nations of earth can rest. Wow. 
Listen to how that promise got expressed to David. And some of this might start to ring a little familiar if you're familiar with the Christmas story. Way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 to 13. Here's what it says. Listen to the descendant that might be coming. God says to David, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. You're not going to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you, David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, from your family tree, David, I will establish his kingdom. There's a descendant coming, and he is the one who will build a house for my name, God says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wow. Verse 16, punchline. Your house and your kingdom, David, will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. One of the descendants of David, God says, I will make the great king, and he will be the one. David's house and kingdom will be forever. A son of David's coming, and it's going to be something that will bless all the nations. Well, when the people of David and David's time heard that, all they heard was, man, David's the king and Jerusalem's it. Hot diggity. We're the bomb. And so they went up to Jerusalem and celebrated. In fact, a lot of the psalms in your Bible are called Zion psalms because they're just people going to have great worship services up in Zion because they're so happy that God has chosen them in this way. But as you might predict, just like we all do, they got kind of arrogant and complacent and lazy. They thought things like, you know what? God says we're, we're, we're his favorites. He really loves us. He's full of grace. So we're just going to coast. I mean, nothing can touch us now. That's what God's people do sometimes. And prophets like Jeremiah came along and said, no, no, no. You're not immune to God's judgment. I mean, he will keep his promises to bless you for sure. But he's, he'll also keep his promises for judgment. But they didn't listen. He just got lazy and cocky and complacent. And all the kings after David were horrible and they were disobedient and led the people away from God and they just drifted and drifted until the whole nation, which was the tree itself, split apart in a horrible civil war, like a bolt of lightning taking the, the tree of promise and splitting it into two. And the nation starts to be fractured and the bad kings keep coming and there's finally a loser named Zedekiah on the throne twiddling his thumbs when the worst imaginable happens. Worse than 9-11, worse than World War II, in comes Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon with all of his armies and they march into Jerusalem and they lay it to absolute waste. They destroy the whole city and they take all the people and they thrust them out into exile way over in Babylon. And David's kingdom has fallen and everybody is shell-shocked. Where once they had the great tree and the promise and the hope, now there's nothing but a big chainsaw mark where there's just a stump. And they called out to God like, what happened? God, where are you? Like this is, I thought we were your favorite, I thought we were your people. And this is how my life is going like this. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Like what gives, God? What about the promise? Look at Psalm 89, verse 49. This is what they're crawling out to God. Lord, where is your former great love? You said you loved me, which in your faithfulness you swore to David. What about the city of David? Now we're just looking at a stump. We've all prayed prayers like that. God, where are you now? The Old Testament comes to an end on that note. 
There really is no Messiah. There really is no Son of David. There really are no answers. There really is no voice from God that they are aware of, no help from heaven. And there's 400 years of silence, just a stump. What do you do when heaven's quiet and you're staring at a stump? What do you do when your hope is floundering? Well, what they did is they dared to remember what God had promised. They dared to cling to some words of hope and faith that God had given them. I think it's the same thing we should do. Do you know the words that they hung, hung on? We use them at Christmas all the time. You want to hear them? Might be helpful to you too. Like they, they remembered promises from like the prophet Isaiah. Remember now, this is 700 years before Jesus is born. The prophet Isaiah speaks into their situation where they're staring at a stump. And you know what Isaiah says? Look at Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. Look at this. This is 700 years before Jesus. And it says this, a shoot, meaning a sprig of growth, like a new branch, a, a shoot, a, a little twig will come up from what? The stump of Jesse. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. I know you're looking at a dead old stump, but I promise you one day there will come a little old Charlie Brown tree. A shoot from the stump of Jesse is coming. I know it doesn't look like much right now. I know you're looking at something in your life right now that looks just like an old stump. I know you're looking at it and there's just nothing. It's nothing. It's been long. It's been quiet. It's been silent. God's not doing it. It's not happening. But God says it's coming. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. And when it comes up, it doesn't look like much. But just you wait. That's the promise. And they began to recognize in those days that, that it was a promise not just about David in the past. It was a promise about the new David that would be coming. That God will once again raise up a son of David one day who will be the true king, the true shepherd of his people, the true man after God's own heart, the true ruler of all things of his kingdom. There would be no end, the word of God said. And this becomes the great hope of Israel. And so these other prophetic texts, we get them out every Christmas and we hear them. And, and I, I want them to make more sense to you from now on. When you hear things like Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is 700 years before Jesus, the prophet said, you know what? For to us, a child's going to be born. A son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Now, David, he died. But this new one, oh my goodness, he'll be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's good. Someone should write music about that. You should write a song about that. And the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing him holding with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. And the God's going to do it. God keeps his promises. And that's what they hung on to. Sometimes when you're looking at just a stump, you got just a promise to hold on to. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, what? A righteous branch. I will raise up a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in land. This is hundreds of years before Jesus, y'all. All they had was a stump and those words. Sometimes all you got is a promise from God's faithfulness. 
you just hold on to it. 400 years of silence. 400 years of waiting. Nothing but a stump. And then, on a silent night, there's a cry in the dark and a little baby is born. And it didn't look like much at first. Just a little swaddler. But just you wait. (laughs) Just you wait and see. It's the birth of Christ. And Matthew ends that 400 years of silence with what we now call the New Testament because he wants to make sure we understand who this little sprig is. That's why he begins the New Testament with the family tree. You go to the first verse of the first book of the first chapter of the of the New Testament, and it begins this way, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, this is the genealogy, I want you to know where he came from, of who? Jesus the Messiah, the promised one of God. And how does he identify him right off the bat? The, the son of David's here. The son of Abraham. Remember all the promises of God, the Abraham promise, the, the David promise, here it is. And then he lists Abraham, and he goes through the whole genealogy, and he lists them one after the other after the other. It's a long list of boring names. Verse 5 and 6, you got Salmon, you got, you got Boaz, you got Obed, the father of who? Jesse, who is the father of David, yeah. And then it goes on a bunch more names, and it finally ends that whole section in verse 17 this way. Thus, it says there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, and then 14 from David to to the exile in Babylon, and then 14 more from the exile to the Messiah. In other words, you see what God's been doing? All along it looked like chaos. It looked like nothing but a stump. But God was at work and perfectly ordered, 777, the perfect biblical number, all the time building a tree that he was going to build with David at the root and Jesus at the center with branches big enough for everyone to come and rest in. And that happened when Jesus was born. Amazing. God was at work all along. When it only looked like a stump. And so you come to the Christmas story, and it's all over the place. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Remember, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. And where did he go? To Bethlehem, because that was also prophesied. To the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Because he's in the family line. Jesus is in the family tree. He's the son of of David. This is why the angels said to the shepherds in verse 10 and 11, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people because today where? Where? In the town of David. He doesn't say that to give the location of the birth. He tells it to give the identity of the child. This is the, the one who would be born in the town of David because he's from the line of David and this is the Messiah, the new great David is here. And so Paul the Apostle, for example, and all the New Testament writers preach this to help people connect the dots that God's promise is being fulfilled. Look at Acts 13, verses 22 and 23. Paul is talking and he, he talks about the whole history we just did. After Saul gets to be king and he's gone, he makes David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he'll do everything I want him to do. And from this man's descendants, Paul says, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. You can see it all coming together. Jesus of Nazareth is the promised son of David. 
He is the Messiah, the new greater David, the true king, the true shepherd, the one who will rule over all the nations and of his kingdom there will be no end. He's the tree of life that will never be cut down again. Let me give you one other thing that will help this all come together for you. This is free. This is just extra but free and really good. So glad you came. Go over to Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 2. He's the one who tells us about the wise men, right? These magi. They come and they go. And after they leave, God tells Joseph in a dream, "Uh uh-oh, Herod has just made a decree to kill all the baby boys. You better hightail it. And so they run for their lives, Joseph and Mary and the little baby. Where do they go? Remember? Remember? They go to Egypt. They're refugees on the run to escape. And eventually Herod dies. And God sends word to them, the coast is clear, it's safe to come home. And so they do, but Archelaus is still on the throne. He's a little sketchy, so they're not sure about him. So they don't want to go back into the center of things. They go back out on the fringes in a little hick town, way out in the outskirts, in a little backwater area called Galilee. And what was the name of the town they settle in? Nazareth. Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. And so Joseph went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said to the prophets hundreds of years earlier that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Now think about this with me. When you hear the word Nazarene today, you don't think anything of it. But in those days, it would have signaled, like, it, was a, it was a term of contempt. It was a derogatory label to call someone a Nazarene. Okay? You go back and you look at, a lot of scholars have pointed out that the likely root origin of that word, the real meaning of the word Nazareth, you know what it is? Sprout. Branch. Isn't that interesting? Probably Nazareth comes from the old Hebrew word netzer. Netzer. Which just means sprout. So it was something to be held in contempt. A great tree was cut off, hewn down, and now there's nothing but just one green little netzer, little nothing netzer, little worthless netzer. That's what the word means, netzer. And so here you got this little town way up on the ridge, out of the way, away from all the important stuff. Down below is the main road where the Roman armies go and the rich merchants go and the high priests travel and all of the fancy people and the important people are. But way up in no man's land, you got this little nets or nothing town called Nazareth where a Nazarene grows up who will be away from all the activity of what seems important in life. He's just a a little spring. In fact, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Go back and look at that verse. And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stump of Jesse. You know what that word shoot is in Hebrew? Netzer. The same word from which we get Nazareth. And so here you go. Here's this destruction, leaving only a stump. A Netzer comes forth, and the Netzer's from Netzerland. <laughs> Nazareth. And it looks like nothing at the beginning. But just you wait. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. Friend, how's your life going? I invite you to think about the stumps in your life and remember this. Remember three things. Number one, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. When God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. So sometimes all you can do 
is cling to the promise of God. It may not come at the time you want or it may not look what you want it to look like, but you cling to the promise of God. And sometimes it feels like God is forgotten, but when it seems like God is forgotten, remember this, God remembers. You remember that God remembers. Trust in the faithfulness of God. Trust in His faithfulness. And when something looks dead, remember that God can bring life out of dead things. It's what He does best. So put your hope in the God who can bring life out of things that are dead. This Jesus who grew proved that when He Himself conquered death. Jesus was the perfect sort of sprig of life. He was the very tree of life himself and he was living a beautiful, perfect life and they hacked it off. They killed him and they put him in the tomb and there he was, nothing but a stump for three days and the women went to visit him and on the third day they went and visited him and you know what they found? They didn't find a dead old stump. They found a sprig of life and the angel said, he ain't here, he's risen. And Jesus is still alive, friends, and he is, in fact, the son of David who reigns over the house of David and has created a tree that is big enough for every one of us to perch in its branches and to find the life God meant for us in the beginning. And Jesus is that way and that truth and that life and the tree. So I invite you now to think about about that stump in your life, that area where you're struggling with hope. And while you're thinking about that, I'm reminded of a guy named Bartimaeus in the Bible. He met Jesus one day. Bartimaeus was blind. Messed up life. And he heard Jesus was going to be coming to town, so he sat out on the edge of the road and had someone tell him, when Jesus gets close, let me know. And they did. And just at the right time, when Jesus is coming by, sometimes, friends, you've got to be ready when Jesus comes near. Be ready. Jesus comes by. And he calls out. And you know what he says? He says this. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Isn't that powerful? Jesus hears him and responds and says to the man, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see And Jesus heals that man in that moment. I want to invite you to pray that same simple prayer. To think about this stump in your life. And to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because I can tell you this, friends. Jesus is coming by right now. He's coming by right where you are. And you need to be prepared in the next moment to answer the question he's going to ask you. When he says, what do you want me to do for you? And then you can tell him about your stump. Some of you are so angry. Just like inside of you and it pops out and you're losing your joy. You're You're like a stump in some ways. Some of you are so sad. So empty and hurting. For some of you, it's about the marriage or about a child or about your health. 
or about things you've seen that have made you cynic, a cynic and, and a hardened person. What's your stump? Let's pray. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. We thank you for coming. But more than that, God, we thank you for, for the promise that you will bring out of the stump of destruction that we see all around us and the stump of hopelessness. You will bring not only your kingdom come, but right now in our lives, where, there, where there's no hope, you can bring life. You are faithful, you are good, you will fulfill your promises in your time and in your way, and we pray that you will help us to trust you and cling to you and love you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, the Son of David, and all of God's people said, Amen.